And you know, when I was a kid, my favorite player was Michael Jordan, of course. We didn't have a lot of superheroes back then like you guys have. And so we had sports heroes. That was kind of what I, I followed. You know, I watched him. I read about him. I had read a whole biography. I never read as a kid, but I wanted to read this biography about him. I had posters on my wall. There was a six foot six life-size poster of Michael Jordan. And when I wake up every morning, I'd look at him and I'd be like, whoa. Um, I even ate Wheaties. Like, that's the worst cereal in the history of mankind. I'm not kidding. But it had his face on the front. And then on the back, there was a four-part series of Michael Jordan. And so my parents said, in order to get the box, you have to eat all of the Wheaties. So I ate four boxes of Wheaties because I love Michael Jordan so much. That is crazy. And I remember this. There was a song called uh, Be Like Mike. You guys remember this song? Come on. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be, to dream I move, to dream I groove like Mike, if I could be like, come on. Anyway, that was, that was me, man. I was growing up. I, he was my biggest hero. Michael Jordan, love the guy. Well, we are in a passage this morning. It's kind of like a be like Mike sort of passage, except of course, it's not Mike, it's Jesus. This is a be like Jesus sort of moment. But what Jesus calls us into is not a life of fame or popularity or uh, spin moves and sweet jump shots and dunks, but instead Jesus calls us to a life of servanthood, a life of love and laying down our rights and ultimately our lives for the sake of serving others. And so if you remember from last week, Pastor Paul preached on the first section of John chapter 13, or remember verse one, uh, John says this, he says, Jesus loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. That word to the end means to the utmost. It also can mean, so, so com- perfectly, completely, but it also can mean, of course, to the end of Jesus's life. All the way to the cross, Jesus says, death will not quench my love for my disciples, uh, for you and for me. And then out of this love, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He stoops to serve. And now today, in part two of this story, he's going to call not only his disciples, but all of us to follow him in this path of love, this life of servanthood, to be like Jesus to those around us and to a lost and dying world that desperately needs to hear that Jesus loves them. So here's the big idea. The big idea is this. To be like Jesus, we are called to a life of humble and joyful servanthood. To be like Jesus, we are called to a life of humble and joyful servanthood. So if you are willing and able, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to read John chapter 13, starting in verse 12. When he, meaning Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now 
before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I pray this morning that as we dig into this passage, I, I don't know if it's much, as much about understanding as it is as much about living. I think we understand what it means to be a servant, but to live it is a far greater challenge. Would your Holy Spirit move in our hearts, convict our hearts, change our hearts, compel our hearts to follow Jesus in this life of servant that we pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Today's sermon is entitled The Call to Servanthood, and we've got three points. Kids, you guys are following along. There's some points on the back there. The points are the example of servanthood, the humility of servanthood, and the blessing of servanthood. So the example, the humility, and the blessing. Another way to think about it is we're going to answer three questions. The what, the why, or excuse me, the what, the how, and the why. So what does it mean to serve? How are we able to serve? And then why? Why is this important? So first, the example of servanthood. Jesus says very clearly in verse 14, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Now, what is this example that he's talking about? You know, certainly the need to wash feet is still important, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's important. Uh, My wife, um, I actually washed her feet when I was proposing to her. But I knew, though, that that wasn't just an act of service that I was being called to. It was really a life of servanthood that I was committing to. And in many ways, I still didn't even know what that meant. And that's what Jesus is encouraging us and challenging us to. In fact, it's not just this one act of service. Really, throughout Jesus' life, what did he do? He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so he healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He, he cared for the poor. He listened to and taught the lost. He even served breakfast to his disciples. And here he shows yet another example. Now, Paul picks up on this idea of being an example in Philippians chapter 2. You guys are probably familiar with this text. Starting in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So here's, here's what's going on. Jesus is high. He's equal with his Father. He's above all. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Verse 3 that we read last week, everything has been given into Jesus' hands. He's the sovereign king. Verses 13 and 14, what does it say? He says, I'm your teacher. I'm your, I'm your Lord. And then he flips that around. And he says, I'm actually your Lord and your teacher. He says, I want to make it very really clear. I'm not just, a, I'm just an example. I'm not just a teacher. I am the Lord. He goes on. He says, I'm the master. I'm the sender. And then to make it even more abundantly clear in verses 18, 19, we're not going to look at this much this week because we're going to talk more about Judas next week. But Jesus says, hey, I'm telling you this now that Judas is going to betray me before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. That word he is not in the Greek. And so it may be very clear that Jesus is actually saying, I am. He says this other places, before Abraham was, 
I am. When he stilled the waters, he says, I am. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am who I am. And I am relinquishing all my rights as God to stoop to serve. I am going low. And if you were to follow your master and be my messenger, you must follow me through this example of servanthood. What is true servanthood? It's a quick definition for you guys. Made it up. Hopefully it sticks. <laughs> it's going low to meet a need, no matter the task, no matter the person, no matter the cost. Real quick, no matter the task. You know, where gifting and passion and experience and skill, they all match up to meet a particular need. That is the sweet spot of ministry. When I played baseball, you know, swing, and the ball hits off the sweet spot of the bat, and it takes off. That is awesome when we get to serve in that place where all of those things converge together. But Jesus is making it clear here in this passage when he's given this example of service that it's not based on gifting or role. No act of service should be beneath us. It's the task that no one wants to do that you and I are called to do. Um, You guys may be familiar with Dwight L. Moody. He was a a world-famous evangelist in the late 1800s. Uh, he hosts these Bible conferences, and one year there was a group of European pastors that came over the pond in order to be a part of this Bible conference. And following the European custom of the time, each of these guests, they put out their shoes outside of their room in order for the hall servant to clean and polish them before the next morning. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> well, of course, this is America. That doesn't happen. And so D.L. Moody, as he's walking down the the dormitory halls and he's seeing all of these shoes, he's like, oh, man, he didn't want to embarrass his his fellow pastors. And so he mentioned the need to some other ministerial students after he left the dorm. He said, hey, can you guys do that? And he was met with either silence or pious excuses. And so Moody returned to the dorm. He gathered up all of the shoes and brought them into his room. And alone in his room, he cleaned and polished every single shoe and put them outside of the room again so that when his foreign visitors opened up their doors the next morning, their shoes were shined, and they never knew by whom. And the only reason why we know this story is because a friend of his had stopped into his room as he was cleaning the shoes, and he eventually got some other men to voluntarily and secretly clean those shoes the rest of the conference. What was D.L. Moody communicating here? He was saying, you know, I could have spent time preparing on my message I could have spent time doing other things, but no task is below me, just like no task is below my Savior. You know, do you guys know that there's uh, no gift of toilet cleaning? There's not. But there are some women who gather every week, and they clean toilets here at the church facility. Don't do it for recognition. Don't do it for praise. Do it simply because there's no task that is below them. There's a person who puts the little plastic cups in those trays every single week week so that we can enjoy communion together. And this gives us an encouraging thing to think about, that nothing that you or I do is insignificant. So every snotty nose that you wipe, every kind word that you speak, every person that you let confront of you in, uh, when you're going on, on the road, you know, every time you serve rather than be served, Jesus says, you are following my example. So what is the task or role that you might see yourself being above? Jesus calls you and me to go low and to serve. 
True servanthood is going low to meet a need, not only no matter the task, but also no matter the person. You guys remember last week, I mean, Jesus, can you imagine washing Judas's feet, knowing that he's going to betray you? I mean, that's just so foreign to me. And Jesus elsewhere, he says, you know, if you love those who love you, what, is, what benefit is that to you? Even the world does that. Jesus is saying, no, I want you to serve no matter the person. Are there certain people who you feel like you are above and that you're unwilling to serve because of their status, because of their race, because of their age, because of their lack of friendliness? Jesus invites us to serve our enemies the way that he did. He calls us to pursue those who are unlovable because they are made in the image of God and they have unique worth and value and they need God's love. Uh, Lebanon, pretty, pretty awful place right now. There's a country with has about 3 million citizens, but they also have 1.8 million displaced people living in their country right now. Now, fast, uh, go back about 30 years, they had a, a huge war with Syria. And if you guys know now, Syria is a war-torn country, and so a lot of refugees have come because of that Syrian crisis over to Lebanon. And I read a blog about a Lebanese pastor whose father was killed by a Syrian, and he has a church that reaches out to thousands of Syrian families. And a few weeks ago, he invited a Syrian refugee to the front And he washed that refugee's feet in front of the congregation to make it really clear what it means to love, what it means to serve, and what it means to forgive. And his church has grown from 60 to 900 people, and two-thirds of them are refugees. And there's a woman who once was held at gunpoint by Syrians. She's a part of that church, and she cares for 500 displaced Syrian families. And every week she has tea with her enemies, which, of course are now her friends. So who is the person that you see yourself above? Jesus calls you and me to go low and to serve them. Last but not least, no matter the cost, you know, this act of service is pointing to a much greater reality that's going to happen the next day when Jesus gives his life for the sake of his friends. And really, as we know, we were enemies when Jesus died for us and he makes us his friends. Uh, uh, what is the cost, of course, is his life. And what's the reward? The reward is being insulted, abandoned, and betrayed. You know, cost is something that a lot of times I think I negotiate in my mind. And I'm like, well, if it's not too costly, then I'll be willing to do it. Or, you know, maybe sometimes the cost is like it's, it's lonely. Uh, it's in our tech culture where we're promoting everything that we're doing. We might be tempted to promote our service. But what God may be inviting us to is to lonely service where there is no perceived impact and where there is no guaranteed result, no matter the cost. I remember uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to serve my neighbor. And uh, so my next door neighbor at the time, she was a single mom, had a, had a boy, and uh, her bushes were like massive, huge I probably shouldn't have said that, uh, Donald Trump. Anyway, so, so big, big bushes, right? And then I, I see them. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go cut. I'm going to go cut her bushes. I'm kind of figuring out, okay, well, it'll probably take a couple hours or whatever. So anyway, I go over there. I cut her bushes, feeling really good about myself. Yeah, you know, great. I come home and I start to itch. 
What I didn't realize was there was poison ivy throughout these bushes, and I itched and scratched for three days. I didn't sleep. I finally had to get a steroid shot. And Jesus was telling me, Scott, you don't know what it means to serve. You negotiated that cost. You thought, yeah, I'll give a little bit. Let me tell you what it's really like to serve. And so that poison ivy was a big reminder of Jesus laying down his life for me. So what is the cost that you might feel that you are above? Jesus calls you to go low and to serve. But if you're like me, and certainly in that moment of poison ivy, I was left feeling like, I can't, I can't do this. I, I felt really sinful. I felt really just, ugh. How in the world can we serve like Jesus? And that brings us to the second point, the humility of servanthood. Jesus here in this passage is providing us with an example of humility. And humility begins not with serving, but with being served. There's three steps to humility that I want you guys to see from this passage. And actually, it's based on another passage that really explains this passage. And so if you guys want to turn or you can look on the screen, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This passage of Scripture has been, has been such a big blessing for me because my tendency is, okay, I've got to serve more. I've got to do more. I've got to care more. And it begins to happen Not by me trying harder, but by first beholding the glory of the Lord. Jesus is saying, before you can begin to serve, you first have to behold me. That's why he washes Peter's feet. And Peter's like, oh, you can't do this. And Jesus says, no, the first act of humility is not the giving of service. It's the readiness to receive it from me. We are sinful, filthy, broken people in need of cleansing. And so if you are struggling with serving, like I am a lot of times, begin by beholding Jesus serving you. I was thinking about meditating this this morning even, and I was just overwhelmed by Jesus laying down his life for me. And it's not just one act of service. Think about all the different ways the God of the universe serves us every single day. He cares for us. He loves us. He protects us. He provides for us. He lavishes us with grace every single morning, and he cleanses us from all of our sin. So if you want to grow in service, you first are to behold Jesus serving you. Brad House, in his book, Community, which we use for our community group leaders, he says this. He says, if you want your church to grow in mission, don't simply trot out goals. Lift up Jesus. When we see him in his power and are overcome by his love, we are joyfully compelled to respond to his call to make disciples. We are energized to reach the lost and help the weak. We are inspired to worship and to call the lost to his feet. So the first thing that Jesus wants us to see is before we go out and we serve others, we first must receive his service from us, his ongoing sort of care for us. Behold Jesus. Behold Jesus washing your feet and cleansing you from all of your sin. 
The second thing, though, is that once we become, in order to behold, once we behold Jesus, then we were to, as that passage says in Second Corinthians three, we're to become like Jesus by focusing on others. The more that we gaze at Jesus, the more we begin to stop doing the navel gazing and looking at ourselves, and then with the eyes of Christ to see those around us. Tim Keller, in his book *The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness*, really short little book, but great, great compelling story and teaching on pride and humility. He says this, he says, if we were to meet a truly humble person, Lewis says, he's reflecting on the writings of C.S. Lewis, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not be always telling us they were a nobody because a person who keeps saying they're a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. It's not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, it's thinking of myself less. So when we wake up in the morning, we behold Jesus, and then we begin to think, how can I serve others? How can I put their needs before my own? It's not that we think think of ourselves as being less than, no, we are children of God. But we are also ambassadors for Christ. We're messengers of the message of Jesus Christ. And so we're to take our focus off of ourselves, behold Jesus, and to behold and look around for the needs that we can meet of others. God calls us into a big story, to live for him rather than for ourselves, and to take the focus off of our own dreams, our own aspirations, our own fears, our own appearance, our own success, and instead to focus on others to finally be free of me is what Tim Keller's trying to get at. So that's the second thing. We become like Jesus by focusing on others. But the last part of that verse is really important. Second Corinthians three eighteen. it says, we behold the glory of God and then we become like him, by the way, from one degree of glory to the next. So it doesn't happen just like that. It happens a little bit at a time. Isn't that great that God's patient with us? But then it says that the spirit is the one that does the work in us. So humility requires us not only to behold Jesus and to put our focus on others, but then to depend upon the Spirit to do this work. Andrew Murray, a great um, uh, book called Abide in Christ, he says this. He says that the great danger is the Christian who seeks sanctification. We could call this becoming more like Jesus as he's humble in the power of the flesh with the help of Christ instead of looking for it in Christ alone and receiving it from him by faith. The carnal way is one in which we put forth our utmost efforts and resolutions, trusting Christ to help us in doing so. The spiritual way is one in which, as those who have died and can do nothing, our one care is to receive Christ day by day, and at every step let him live and work in us. Here's the big idea that Andrew Murray is trying to get across, that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across as well, is that the only way that you can truly be humble is to say, I can't be humble. In our flesh, we cannot redeem it at all. Our flesh is sinful and selfish through and through. And so if you're like me and you're like, I just can't serve, I can't be humble, you, Jesus is like, you're in the right spot. That's exactly where I want you. And I want, listen, I've given my spirit to you. 
The Spirit of Christ dwells in you and me. So Jesus, if he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on a cross, he says, I've given my Spirit to you so that you can do the same. But you can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own power. You can't do it in your own might. You have to release it all to me. To die daily to self and to live in Christ through the power of the Spirit. Um, there's a person named Ken Tata. You may never, never have heard of him, but you probably have heard of his wife, Johnny Erickson Tata. Amazing woman of God. She was 17 when she became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the waist down. She's um, written like 40-something books. She, 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 she makes art. She, um, she's cared for the disabled and advocated for them that they have unique worth and value. And I started thinking, you know, Johnny is an amazing woman. But what about her husband? And then I started researching a little bit about Ken Tata. Uh, they actually had a book that came out about their marriage a, a few years back. And Ken said in his first date uh, that he, I mean, he just loved, he loved Johnny, admired her a ton, and he's emptying out her pee bag by the tree on their first date. But he was ready. He was ready to serve. He was ready to lay down his life for the sake of his bride. And he committed to marriage to her. But as you can imagine, if you guys have been a caregiver for someone who's in great need, I mean, the, the, the constant cleansing and bathing and emptying out pee bags and all of the, the feeding and all of that, it just became overwhelming to him. And he had a point of crisis. And he, he, said, he told Johnny, he said, I love you, but I can't do this. It's so overwhelming. And Johnny was, of course, on the one hand, she was hurt, but on the other hand, she really understood what he was saying. It's like, she was recognizing like, yeah, this is hard. This is hard to serve in this way. But she began to pray for Ken, that Ken would stop doing it his own strength and begin to depend upon Jesus. And so Ken began to meditate on the Beatitudes. And one Beatitude in particular really stuck out to him, Blessed are you if you are poor in spirit. And he began to grab a hold of that. And he began to see that you are blessed if you are poor. If you're poor in spirit, knowing that only God can save, only God can protect, only God can help, only God can give strength. Ken taught a new full well that he could not do it on his own any longer. <laughs> and he, it's impossible he said, without God. And so every day he goes to the Lord for help. He goes in empty-handed, knowing that yesterday's grace was not enough, that he needed more grace today to serve. He goes at a desperate need for God. And the amazing thing is, he says, and then the joy began to kick in. And that leads us to point number three, the blessing of servanthood. Verse 17, Jesus says, if you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. That word blessed, same word as the Beatitudes, it can not only mean blessed, it all can also mean happy or glad or joyful. You see, Jesus wants to make it really clear here that there is blessing that comes through serving. And did you guys know this, that it's good to be motivated by reward? That's a good thing. And Jesus says, you will be rewarded with blessing and joy if you follow me in serving others. 
I want to give you four quick things about blessing and joy. The first blessing and joy is the communion with God himself. Uh, we sang earlier, abide with me. John 15, which is a passage about abiding, and 1 John also talks about abiding as well. The Apostle John wants to make it really clear here that, he, that Jesus invites us to abide with him. And so John 15, 9, Jesus says this. He says, the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus is saying here, he's saying, hey, when you abide in my love, when you abide with me and you love others, there is this special communion that happens. And you guys know this to be true. When it's hard, that's when you're most dependent on Jesus, isn't it? Jesus says, I want you to understand that this is a high and holy calling, but those sent by Christ are brought close to me. They're brought near to me as they abide in me. There is blessing and joy of communion with God as we serve others. There's also blessing and joy of community with others. You know, Jesus here, of course, he's speaking to 12 disciples, but really he's speaking to all of us and he's saying, hey, as you guys serve together, there's this special sort of community that happens. And we, we know this anytime we serve as somebody else, right? It, as we give and as we receive service, it, it, it binds our hearts together. There's something special when we join hands together and we serve someone else. There's a special community that takes place. We just experienced that, what, a few weeks ago at the men's weekend as we were all serving as men together in various capacities. And there's this special sort of memory. There's a special sort of closeness that happens. And Jesus says, hey, that's a reward. That is a joy that is promised to you as you stoop to serve. Not only that, but the blessing and joy of conversions. Verse 20 Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let me say that again. Whoever receives the one I send. So whenever, whoever receives us receives Jesus, and whoever receives Jesus receives the Father. This is the pathway for conversion. The way that people understand who Jesus is and who the Father is is through his people. We are the messengers of good news, not only through our good words, but through our good works. As we show love to others, we show them that Jesus loves them, that the Father loves them. Uh, I was listening to a, a message this past week, and uh, he shared a story about one of, his, one of the small groups at their church, and there was this man who was at a climbing gym, and he, he ran the climbing gym, and Apparently, he was diagnosed with cancer, and so there were a few people in this particular small group that all liked to climb. They heard about the need, and uh, they'd already built a little bit of a relationship with him, and they, they as a group, they decided, we're going we're gonna to take up a collection, and we're going to pay for his first set of cancer treatments. And this man was just so blown away. He'd already seen the love that was between them, but now he was experiencing that love for himself. He had never really spent much time with Christians before, but... Because of the love of Christ that was shown through his people, he was attracted to it. Time went along, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Francis Schaeffer, in The Mark of the Christian, says, Let us be careful indeed to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers. 
We should give honest answers to people about who Jesus is. But after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, still we must never forget that the final apologetic which Jesus gave is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. So if we want to be a gospel light to the world, we must show love for one another and show love to the world. That's what attracts people to the love of Christ as we serve others. At the same time, though, we, we don't know the results when we serve, right? There's a lot of times where we serve, we're serving people. We don't know how it's going to impact them. I want to share with you a quick story, though, that hopefully will encourage you. In 1912, there was a medical missionary named Dr. William Leslie, and he and his wife went to serve the Yonsei people in the Republic of Congo. For 17 years, he would travel to this far-out remote villages, and he would teach the Bible to them, He would teach them to read and write, and then he would also meet their health needs. He did this for 17 years with no fruit seen whatsoever. And because of a disagreement with the tribal leaders, didn't really get into what happened, he was asked to leave and return to the U.S., a discouraged man thinking he had not made any impact for Christ. He died nine years later after his return. In 2010, some 90 years later, after Dr. Leslie had gone to the Yonsei people, a missionary named Eric Ramsey uh, had a heart for the Yonsei people. And in all of his research, uh, he, he knew that there was a remote tribe. And from what he understood, they had maybe heard the name of Jesus, but that was it. And so he and his team decided to go to visit the Yonsei people for the first time. And when they arrived, they were shocked they found a church in each of the eight villages scattered across 34 miles. There were pastors, there were choirs, there were songs written in the Yonsei language. And when Ramsey shows up, he's like, what in the world? I mean, this far-off tribe that had been unexposed to anyone else in modern society is following Jesus. And it took him a long time to figure out what had happened, he found out that there was this man named Leslie. He didn't know if it was a first name or a last name. He did tons of research once he came back to the U.S., and he found out that there was this man named William Leslie that had gone some hundred, almost 100 years earlier and had lived out the gospel among them for day in and day out for 17 years. And God used that investment into the lives of the Yonsei people, and now they were following Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The blessing and joy of conversion may not happen in our timing or in our expectations, but we can trust that as we serve others for the sake of the gospel, Jesus will shine brightly and he will change people's hearts and lives. Last but not least, the blessing and joy of commendation. Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable of the master and the servants, and it talks about how he gives them talents. We're not going to obviously get into that passage this morning, but at the end, this is a picture of what happens with us and Jesus when we see our master face to face, where what does he say? He says, well done, what? Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. All of our service will one day be rewarded every single way that we've served, we might think that it goes unnoticed. Jesus notices. He sees. And one day he will commend all of his people who have served faithfully 
for him. And so that can give us great joy, can it not? You know, this passage is the ultimate J-curve passage. You guys remember from a couple of months ago when I talked about the J-curve that Paul Miller uh, discusses, and, and uh, we talked about it with the death of Lazarus and how you must go down in order to be able to brought, brought high and lift it up. This is the J-curve passage again. Jesus goes down, he serves, he goes low into death, and then he's raised and exalted at the right hand of the Father, and then Jesus invites us to do the same, to go down into death, to die to our selfishness, to die to our selfish desires, and to instead say, no, Jesus, I want to go low with you. I want, to, I want to be brought near to you. And then one day we will be exalted. God exalts the humble. Isn't that amazing? I want to give us a real quick picture of what it means to be commended on that last day. We're going to give a, a, a tiny taste of that now. I just want to take a few minutes. I jotted down with, with uh, Joe's help, Joe LeBlanc's help, um, all the different ways that people serve. And I'm probably going to miss a few of them. But I just want you to hear the commendation of the Lord. Staff, elders, elders' wives, community group leaders, wives, and hosts. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for your servant leadership and your gospel witness. Deacons, all the teams that you guys represent, Women's Pregnancy Center, Safe Families, Guardian Adlatum, Benevolence Team, Care Mobilization Team, Meal Provision, hospitality. Thank you for leading through your service and caring for the orphans, the widows, and those who are in need. Well done, good and faithful servants. Four Oaks kids and student volunteers, you guys who have served so faithfully this school year, also you are serving this summer. Good News Club, special needs, the Whatever You Do camp that's coming up next week. Thank you for serving the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful servants. All you behind-the-scenes folks, those of you who care for the facilities and the cleaning, the editing team, the communion setup and, and cleanup, the finance and the offering team, all of you who answer phones at the receptionist desk during the week, thank you for serving Christ in private rather than men in public. Well done, good and faithful servants. All of you hospitality team, the greeters, the ushers, the lobby hosts, the coffee team, the, all of the worship and creative arts team, thank you for showing gospel hospitality and creating an environment for the worship of our God and King. Well done, good and faithful servants. All of you who are men's and women's ministry leaders, those of you who, who teach Bible studies, all of you redemption group leaders, thank you for pointing others to Jesus through your ministry of the word and through biblical counsel. Well done, good and faithful servants. Four Oaks, you guys are amazing servants. I want to commend you to behold Jesus and then to become like Jesus through the power of the Spirit, to enter into humble and joyful servanthood as you seek to follow Jesus. And as you do, know that one day you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. For those of you who are, are, are desiring to serve more or maybe to serve in new ways, there's a card on the seat uh, right there for you. If you want to check off some different ways that you'd like to serve, we would invite you to do that. You can drop that off. There's a, there's a box in the back. Um, know that uh, um, it's not out of obligation that we're putting these cards in front of you. Knowing it's an invitation from the Lord Jesus himself to serve. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be like Mike. But now, I want to be like Jesus. And I know that you do as well. So, if you want to be like Jesus, go low to a life of humble and joyful servanthood.
Let's pray.